0: Tom Bartels from growfoodwell.com.
1: And I'm Darren Parmenter from CSU Extension here in La Plata County. We are the one and only, as of right now, Garden Guys, where we help all of you solve many mysteries <laughs> of gardening in the Southwest. It changes every time. I try to change it every time.
0: I guess. That's what you're doing, aren't you? <laughs> so, hello out there gardeners that uh, are in that new period of our lives that is inside the rain events of the spring of 2022 and now summer of 2022 as we've passed the solstice yes we are winter's coming we can say winter's that, right? coming it yeah the comes. days are getting shorter prepare there's yeah, a little bit store of chill your food maybe. now get the garden in <laughs> yeah the rains came the rains came in a big way all at once and uh it was very interesting to track this last storm and everyone's got a story about it because it hit some people pretty hard. Yeah. it. We, we talk about microclimate.
1: We talk about how the differences between me and the person across the street or one person on one side of the valley and the other person on the other side of the valley, how we have different weather, different environment. And a, a storm like this is another great example of the difference in topography and climate and how those things can affect
0: something like a rainstorm. It kind of tracked like a tornado when you look at... It takes out one house and the house across the street is fine. Uh, it was similar with the hail. I talked to people just south of me that had their whole garden just decimated. And we got a little tiny little bit of hail, but it just mostly rained and didn't, no plant damage at all. So it's night and day, depending on where you live. Bayfield got hit pretty hard as well.
1: Yeah, Mancus got hit uh, up on top of Hespers Hill got hit hard. And honestly, I would have no idea that it hailed. Unless I that checked, did, like, social media is like, oh, my gosh, look right. at what's going on here. because You didn't get any in town. Oh, though. man, we had just a perfect, I got a 1.6 inches of rain Wow, spread nicely over uh-huh. three days. Pre-saturated. And like, the soaked. mulch didn't even float. Like, everything, yeah. it yeah. was an ideal storm for us. Right, right. And then I check and see pictures of six inches of hail out by Bayfield and people's gardens looking like Charlie Brown Christmas trees out there. But they were once were tomato plants, it's absolutely you know, heartbreaking.
0: Yeah. It's such a hard thing to take when you put all that time into it and your whole garden gets ripped apart by hail. I feel for those people out there uh, that got hit, but then it brings back the question of, was this a bad storm overall? And my response to most of those questions is, well, compared to what? And we were looking at brittle drought and a pretty dismal horizon, and that changed in a big way. And so... Yeah, there was some damage, but boy, we needed the moisture more. And so it was overall a better thing, obviously.
1: And the hail like that, that first day, you may think that your plants are gone, done. There are some plants that will push out new growth. Everything is going to be delayed now, obviously. Right. But if there's a, uh, if the plant has a root system that's pretty well established, it will probably start pushing out new leaf growth. Does that mean you'll get that big tomato at the end of the season like you're on track for? Maybe not. But if it shredded your lettuce
0: or if it shredded your broccoli leaves, you know, it may put out new leaves. And if you have a neighbor that got decimated in their garden, you know, it's time to go shore up some help for them and tell them, you know, it's going to be better next year. Make them dinner, make them happy a little bit. And then get the neighborhood together together get in their backyard, and just plant the whole garden in zucchini to give them something to look forward to. Is, it, is this a punishment,
1: or is this, <laughs> no. this a kind Well, because zucchini
0: will last through just about anything, you know, yeah, so it'll it grow. Yeah,
1: yeah, and it's uh, it'll get dented, and it'll get dinged, but it's fine. It's just zucchini.
0: If you lose that one zucchini, there's 15 behind it, just right. ready to go. So it's interesting this with a storm like this to see— what your soil condition is yeah. and did it sheet off the rain when it came down too fast? Did it absorb it all because you have a lot of carbon in your soil? Um, during storms, it's fascinating. Put on the raincoat, get your your rain pants, whatever. Get outside and watch what's happening with that water on the next rain event.
1: Yeah, which is... Probably today today, t- today tomorrow, tomorrow it's happening know, it's, all week
0: so we're in a different system now it's kind of sink or swim right, right.
1: and again a part of the pun but <laughs> it kind of is it. where and I, I agree it's uh it is that time to go out and look at your garden soil if if that top is washed away you know it's if you see exposed roots you know that your soil wasn't able to absorb that water as it came down right and, and maybe the water was just coming the rain was coming so hard it didn't have time uh uh-huh. and know that rain A heavy storm like we had and and are having, they they have, you know, compactive forces. So even just if you get a heavy, hard rain or hail and then that soil dries out, it's going to be drying out potentially even harder than it was
0: before it started. Especially that clay film that kind of gets up on top. Yeah, exactly. Crustiness. Yeah.
1: So that's what we kind of have to, if you do get a storm like this and you have a couple day break. You know, going out there just with a trowel, your hand, whatever, and just kind of breaking up that soil yeah. can help.
0: And throwing some leaf mulch or something on top of it to kind of keep it from being exposed and drying further. Yeah, at this point, most of our seedlings are up, yeah. you know, so you we can, can
1: put yeah, something down mulch around them. to cover because yeah. that will lessen that impact of force for
0: sure. Rain is also better than irrigation as far as plant health. Well, it's also cheaper. And cheaper. Yeah. Yes, it you was so nice to, to turn the, the system yeah. off. You know, people were able
1: to like turn pumps off. Right. You know, we turned our irrigation system off and it'll be off now for a week or two. I hope the next month would be ideal, right? But it is, it's a nice, even irrigation event. And then it does bring in some potential
0: nitrogen. Right. Nitrogen and oxygen, which it pummels into the soil if it's a heavy rain. And what that does is help the plants Ah. process their nutrient cycling faster, which is why you see this usual a surge a few days after a rain your garden does better than when you water it by hand so you may see your plants look a little bit greener right a little bit more growth yeah if you didn't get pummeled and you got the the average rain that didn't really wash stuff away or hurt it too much you typically will see more of a growth surge than the same amount of water when it's just on a drip system or something because all that extra nitrogen and oxygen came with that rain one of the downsides of kind of the rain is
1: that there was all these uh, probably weed seeds laying dormant in the top inch of soil. Oh, uh, and they got moved around. Yeah, they got moved around. They got uh, they got some moisture that they hadn't received because we're drip irrigating and just irrigating the plants. So there is the also the potential that uh, in the next week or two, you may see a flush of new weed growth.
0: It's going to happen. And that's interesting because it is getting to be that time of year when you're going to be touring some friend's garden, some neighbor's garden, and inevitably you're going to see some weeds Yes. in that person's garden. In fact, we have a caller today. We do? We do. And they have a burning question related to this very subject. Get out. I'm serious. Okay. Oh, wait, I, I think he's on right now. Are you, are you there, caller?
2: Yeah. Thanks for taking my call. What? This is Peter from Durango.
0: What's your, uh, your quandary this morning, Peter?
2: well i have a uh what i would call a garden etiquette question for you guys the authorities on uh all things gardening including etiquette i assume so when um when visiting a a friend's garden and uh walking the rows and admiring and you come across the inevitably there's weeds right so i just have a uh kind of an involuntary reflex to pull weeds whenever i'm in my garden and it just kind of transfers to when I'm visiting another friend's garden and I just, but I've recently kind of questioned the appropriateness of pulling a weed in another person's garden.
0: Uh-huh. So you're worried about insulting that person or?
2: Perhaps. Fears- I, so I, you know, I do it out of, uh, out of kindness and part of the effort to, uh, that all gardeners share in trying to battle back the weeds. So it's kind of a, I view it as kind of a, an expression of solidarity, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, but I could also see it as uh, someone taking it um, as a criticism of their garden. So I just wanted to pitch that to you guys and s- see what your take is on that.
1: If we want to like, and I, pardon the pun, dig down a little bit on this. Are you are you like getting down on your knees? Do you have do you like oh, bring yeah. the little how, foam how board? How this
0: weeding? Yeah. Or are you just Did like? Did you bring oh, your own trowel? That's yeah. The, you know, do you like have a hori yeah. hori on your belt? Is that? <laughs> <laughs> and do you do a little tisk 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 as you bend over and pick that weed? <laughs> I, think, you know, the Latin term for this is weedum invasium, and it's a common problem out there, especially right now when everything's coming in, including the weeds. So uh, that's actually kind of an interesting question that people have put so much work into their gardens, and you're going to walk along, and there's sure enough, there's some pigweed or there's some amaranth or something coming in that shouldn't be there. And uh, do you actually pick it or not? Is that going to make a, a, yeah, a, I a would, gardening faux pas?
1: I think it all depends on the weed. So this is since I work for Extension, we never give a one answer. Like we just give them some education and then say, hey, you can make the educated decision off of this. We ride the fence all the time. So I want to say it depends on the weed. If it's probably like a purslane, like a red stem fillery, like those things that are kind of low to the ground, I'm not gonna pull those. If it's um, a Canada thistle, knapweed, <laughs> Like a four foot thistle, yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna touch that either, because I don't really want to. But if it is like a simple rooted weed, like an amaranth
0: or a lamb's quarter, I may go through and pull some of that out, I think. You might check their clothing as well. If they're in some really nice clothes doing the tour, Maybe don't pick the weed, but if they're in carhartts and a ripped shirt, I think no problem. They're not going to stress out about it.
2: Well, it brings up another question: (laughs) Uh, What do you do? What do you do with the weed after you pull it? You know? Oh, I chop Um, and drop.
0: I just lay it right there. Chop and drop. Just put it there. Green mulch.
2: Well, I think another thing is, after these recent rains, which were just so wonderful. I mean, it's just it's irresistible to to pluck a weed while you're walking by so
1: if you're walking in someone's garden and you see a
0: really ripe strawberry are you pulling that and eating it yeah that's a dangerous one we're getting a little
2: philosophical
0: now are there a lot of strawberries or a snap pea is there like if they
2: when they're not looking
0: well i i think we've got a multi-pronged answer to that it depends depends on the person depends on the type of weed uh depends on what their state of mental uh, balance would be at that point in time. Did they get hit by this hailstorm that came through and whacked so many people's gardens? As as listeners are pondering this, would they pick that weed? Would yeah. they not? I say go for it, though, Peter. It sounds like you want to pick them. So oh, go it's
2: ahead. so sa- it's so satisfying. Yeah,
0: then
1: just go ahead right. and do it. And just say I'm helping okay. you out. Yeah, just tell them that you're kind of uh, decreasing
0: their workload for them. You could ask them first. That's that's always a safe bet. Just say, hey, you mind if I pick that weed? I I have this habit. I like picking the weeds. Oh, and they'll tell you back up <laughs> or they'll say sure and if you have another hour there's this row over here
2: <laughs> right right okay i get it ask permission that's always a good uh, solution
0: right so then you don't end up with plant on your face
2: well right on thanks garden guys i sure love your show well Keep up the great we, work we appreciate that
0: and we do appreciate you calling in today thanks peter so long. Uh, all right bye kind of an etiquette question it's man. an like etiquette it. question yeah yeah,
1: that was uh, typically one we don't see come
0: across the the email folder, but uh, we appreciate the the call. Now let's talk about some spring pests that are happening. Okay, I've got some flea beetles that have been wiping out my hot lettuce and arugula and stuff like that, and it's just criminal.
1: So for the listeners, can you? I want you to. De- I mean, they're really small. I want you to describe what the flea beetle looks like.
0: It's tiny. It's a little shiny dot, like you know, a pinhead, and. You can see the color. It's like a purplish brown, but shiny. And they jump. When you get your your hand close to it or you shadow it, it'll pop up and disappear. So it it has this spring jumping response, which is why it's called a flea beetle, because it jumps like a flea. And they're mostly attracted to hotter greens, arugula, arugula. And different types of hot lettuce and stuff. And so they tend to hit them early, right when they're tiny seedlings. And they'll put holes in the leaves. And they'll just keep cutting these circular holes until the leaf dies. It's like a shotgun. Yeah, it's like a shotgun has hit your plant. And it's really uh, pervasive. And right now the flea beetles are very hungry and they're hard to get rid of. But for those that do have flea beetles, um, there are a couple somewhat useful responses you can try. Um, none of them are complete. You will not probably get them completely eradicated. Yeah. In terms
1: of insects, they're up there on the scale of one to 10 and for challenge to control. Yeah. They're they're, not easy to control. They're
0: irritating and hard to control. Yeah.
1: And this jumping mechanism makes them a real pain in the what?
0: I think one of the things that does work, uh, to a certain degree that I've used is uh, diatomaceous earth, but right now with all these consistent rains that's relatively ineffective because you can't do diatomaceous earth in the rain once it gets wet it's no longer useful and diatomaceous earth uh, for those that haven't used it it's an organic method to control soft-bodied insects mostly although there are shells on these flea beetles they do have soft underbodies so it gets in and it's very very sharp tiny little uh, oceanic Um, Yeah, it's like around uh, diatoms. Yeah, diatoms. And so those are like little needles that go inside the shell and make small cuts, and they actually... Uh, desiccate the insect yeah so it just
1: kind of walks and dries
0: yeah it dries up and it can't uh, replace the liquid and so it dies and so it's it's harmless to everything else you don't want to dig it into your soil when it's dry because it can also cut your worms which you don't want to do so if you just sprinkle it on top right where the plant is being affected it gets inside their shell and they desiccate so it's totally morbid it is morbid but it's a a non-chemical approach to insect control that might be wiping out your lettuce. And I would say when you do
1: apply it, try to do it when the winds are calm. Right. And don't you know if you need to cover your your mouth with a mask or you don't want to be putting a scarf. It
0: kind of gets in your
1: lungs and gets a little bit irritating. Yeah. speaking from experience. Don't
0: be breathing that stuff. And but between the rains, if you have a couple days where it looks like there's not gonna be rain, that can be effective. But it's probably not going to do much if you got four hours and then it rains, because once it's wet, it's just this paste and it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't do anything at that point. And the
1: same with like irrigation. If you're overhead irrigating, right, you know it kind yeah. of becomes more of a challenge and and how it the efficacy or the efficiency of it. Sure. Because you're kind of irrigating every day, every other day, whatever it is. So
0: some people will use sticky traps, the yellow sticky traps, um, that the flea beetles will actually jump to the uh, the trap. Because you can actually put them on one side of the row of whatever it is that's being affected and then scare them basically into the trap and they will jump that direction. And you'll get a fair amount of them that way.
1: There's all these challenges attached to these techniques, right? Sure. Yeah. None of them are complete. No.
0: A rainstorm comes or a windstorm and
1: your yellow sticky traps are covered with soil. Right, right. It kind of becomes a challenge. But yeah, it's when we talk about controlling, we could have the same conversation about aphids, or if you're in a greenhouse with whiteflies, at some point when you start to see the numbers really high, that's also unfortunately the point where it's really hard to control them, to get rid of them. That exclusionary technique probably going to be more efficient than a trying to kill them all when you see them approach.
0: Right. Once they're established, they're much harder to control.
1: Right. Yeah. And we also have, I have trap crops I'll let them hit my radishes. Again, you can have the radish tops. I'm, those just go to compost. So you can take over, I think that number is about 50% of the leaf material on a root crop, like a beet or a radish, um, and still get uh, the root itself as harvestable um, in X number of weeks. So for me, radishes, they can have those. Um, but when it comes to that diatomaceous earth, you would know what also gets my radish is... Those freaking roly poly or sow bugs. Oh, the sow bugs. They yeah. like chew the tops of my radishes off. Yeah. Not the leaves, the top, the red that sticks right up there on the, on the
0: uh-huh. on the
1: soil surface. Yeah. They sample those. Right.
0: It drives me crazy. Yep. They do the same with beans. They'll rim beans, the seedlings, and they'll just kind of flop over. Yeah. Like there's a, like lumberjacks. Like you lumber chop a tree down. Yeah.
1: Yes. <laughs> They're doing it
0: to my cucumbers right now. Really? They're killing my cucumbers. Mine are just coming up. I got to look out for that. Yeah, I I mean, I hate them. Yeah. Well, yeah. They're, they're macro composters. They're really good at breaking down woody materials. I know, Tom, I know that I there's blah, a good blah, side. blah. I know. Yeah, but, but when they get. my cucumbers. Yeah, if there's too many of them. Yes. Then that becomes a problem. And so. I'm creating
1: this great environment for them. It's high organic matter, so there's plenty of food source. Right. Of course. It's
0: moist. So it's your fault. Yes, it is. Yeah. Well, stop. No. <laughs> Wait. Did I say yes? Yeah. All you need is some old Milwaukee light. (laughs) Okay. You get some cheap beer. All right. right. Go buy a few cans. Can I go shoulder tap for old time's sake down at the liquor store? You could. Okay. It's not for you to consume. It's for the sow bugs. And what you're going to do is put a little beer trap right next to where they're affecting your garden. And they're going to fall in this beer trap and they're going to drown in the beer. And it's going to be all fun for them. Okay. Because they won't know the difference. But... You're going to save your plants. All right. Beer traps. Beer traps. And I can't drink it. You Out can't drink it. Well, you don't want to drink it. It's all okay. Milwaukee light. Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, my
0: standards are not that high. Okay. So yeah. You're at like Bud Light <laughs> <Okay>. right <laughs> above it. Yeah. We haven't done Word of the Week in a while. We haven't? We have not. Wow. And so I have some some build up on the list here, and we're going to go practice some Latin terminology. That's fine. I'm a horticulturist. Yeah, so, so I, you basically have all this down pat. Yeah, well, Linnaeus and I are we're friends on Facebook. <laughs> Our first one, and you can practice the Latin at home, is Gardenitas uncontrollius. Oh, that sounds made up, but... Let me try to like walk through this That's the person's garden that you walk into and it's like, wow, there was no organization whatsoever. They just kind of broadcast all their seeds everywhere and it's this just, is my worst nightmare. Oh, and it's like they have squash mixing with oh. carrots and that's everything's overburdening everything else and it's just this mass of growth, but it's like everywhere. And, yes. And it tells a lot about the person. Yeah. Right? Which
1: that free spirit, you know, right. the like the lack of rules, conformity. And it tends to work for them 99 times out of 100. Right. For me, that's why I use a raised bed and a dibble board that's one square foot. You know, one foot by one foot. Yeah. All the holes are organization. Oh, my this gosh. Utmost. Yeah. And it is. It's like that's not my office. That's not my desk. Right. Um, I do make the
0: bed in the morning, right? Yeah. Like. But when it comes to the garden, you need organization.
1: I like things in rows. I like things in squares. Well,
0: and if you do uh, align with the person who's just Throwing these seeds everywhere. One of the problems you'll come up with is our next Latin term, which is plantus unknownus. Like, ah, what is that? <laughs> what is that? I don't know. I threw it out here. It's it's growing with the rest of the stuff. Who knows? Maybe it'll come to some fruit.
1: And a big part of my summer months at the extension office is dealing with this plantus unknownus. The, is that, did I pronounce it correctly? Yeah, that's sometimes correct. Very good pronounce. Latin. Okay. Um, it's it's just the folks who don't know what this plant is. And they want you to identify and they it. want me to identify it. Which <laughs> you know, I've I've been around a long enough so I kind of can tell like hey, I've seen this before and I know people struggle with it. But as more plants come on the market, more hybrids in terms of like ornamental flowers, and then they kind of escape the garden, then people don't know what it is or new weeds that are popping up. I deal a lot with plantis unknownis and it's it's tough, you know. We yeah. have our keys, but really, I'm going to tell you a secret, and this hopefully will not affect my job okay. security.
0: So don't tell your friends if you hear this. Yeah, don't. I mean, don't. fortunately, our listenership's like seven people. So eight. eight now. Oh, eight. Yeah, we got eight people listening. Okay, they moved back. Yeah. All right, good deal.
1: <laughs> it's Google Photo, um, which a is reverse photo index. Well, so you yeah, you take the photo, and then I have an app. It's called Google. I think it's called Google Photo. Yeah. Maybe I'm going to make this really tough for people because they have no idea what I'm talking about. You upload the photo, and there's this little button you click. I'm not going to tell you which button because I want your job to be hard. And you click it, and it takes the map of the photo, and then it references that to all the photos in the Google database. Right. And it gives you some options as
0: to what it is. Reverse image search, I think, is what that's called. I call it Google Photo Button. (laughs) That's what I I I call it.
1: And there's plenty of these apps out there, but the apps... I say are about fifty-fifty in terms uh-huh. of success rate.
0: Right, because they have a limited library, and yeah. Google library of photos is immense. Immense. Yeah. So nobody can compete with that. Yeah.
1: So that's before you bring it to my office. Try the Google Photo Secret reverse Darren button. Darren
0: yes. imagery. Yeah. Call Mister Google and ask him. Do you know where Darren's button <laughs> yes, is? Yes. Just ask where my button is. Yeah. And then uh, you might have a problem in your garden with something that didn't come to full fruition which again leads to our latin term which is bloomus natamus this is so bad <laughs> this is so bad <laughs> which we've all experienced where that plant just didn't quite make it what is that what do you mean the plant didn't quite make it well it just went to its vegetative growth but it never flowered okay you know i this is interesting let's talk about compost tea versus compost extract oh there's I, a difference there is a difference and it's kind of a big difference. And it's one of those few categories where the easy way is actually the better way. A lot of people are familiar with compost and worm castings. What is beneficial is to take compost, finished mature organic compost, or finished worm castings and make tea or extract out of it. And uh, the tea process of making worm compost tea, for instance, is a little involved And it's a little more meticulous than what an average home gardener wants to put up with because typically to do it right, you need a microscope. You need to be identifying the organisms in that microscope so that you know, as you make the tea, You're feeding those organisms. You're putting a pond aerator in a five-gallon bucket or some larger container, and you're aerating it for seven to 24 hours, depending on which recipe you're working on. And what you're doing is blooming the population of said organisms that you're then going to add to your garden. Now, the problem with making tea, or the challenge is, knowing that you're populating the correct organisms. So if you don't have that microscope, can you still just roll with it? Well, you could, but then there's the question of, well, what are you producing? What are you exploding in population and then adding to your garden? So one of the problems with that is if you do have anaerobic compost, that's a little smelly and you're being lazy and you're not paying attention. You could be populating all that worm tea with anaerobic organisms that are bad for your plants. So that's the challenge and the danger there. Now, this is when we switch to compost extract. And I'm using compost and worm castings interchangeably because they both work for this process. But if you're using extract, it's much easier and less risky. What you do is you take that same, say about a pound or two, be a small shovel full of worm castings or finished compost, and you go to the paint store and you buy one of those synthetic paint strainers. It's just a net bag that fits over a five gallon bucket. It's okay. very handy, super safe, and it's the perfect size for creating a compost extract or a tea for that matter. But in this case, the extract is just putting that material in the bag, in the net bag, and you're filling a bucket full of water and just gently, like much like a tea bag, just letting it sit there. And all you're doing there is extracting the present diversity of whatever those organisms are and putting it in that water, and then immediately just dousing your plants with it, right at the root zone, right in the row of the vegetables you're trying to help. And all you're doing, and this is important, what you put into your worm bin is what you get out of it. Okay. So if it's just leaves uh, and your worms break down leaves, that's that's good. There's mineral content there that'll be helpful. But if it's a worm bin that's full of, say, four months of vegetable matter from your kitchen scraps that is really full of intense amounts of good diverse materials that's going to create a nice diversity in that finished material that has uh, a lot of diversity in the organisms that you extract into that liquid and then you pour that on the, the ground and what that's doing is transferring the diversity of those microorganisms directly to the soil right away and they're oxygen loving organisms. So you don't want to let this sit there in the liquid state too long. And one of the benefits of the extract is it will travel as far as that liquid goes, which is going to be down to the root zone and the rhizosphere where all this takes place. They're going to latch on to those plants and then be able to cycle nutrients and protect those plants and do all the, the fun stuff that the soil food web does faster. And the thing that I mentioned earlier about stickiness is when you're making tea. And you're using that molasses to feed these organisms. You're creating an organic glue, basically. And it foams up and you can see it. Surfactant. Yeah, it's a surfactant. And so that is good for aerial or foliar sprays because it sticks to the leaves and helps protect that plant. And that's another difference between teas and extracts is the teas are sticky, which makes them good for foliar sprays. And the extracts aren't sticky. And so they're better for just following the soil Uh, aeration holes to get down to the root zone.
1: I'm, I'm not typically a fan of foliar sprays just because of this fact that, you know, leaves don't take up a whole
0: lot. It's the roots that take up the vast majority of nutrients and water. And with teas, what happens is, unfortunately, they're finding more and more research that if you have a properly made tea that's sticky with the surfactants and you try to pour it into the soil, it tends to stick mostly to the upper Ah, layer of soil so it's not actually getting down and percolating because it starts grabbing on right away with that glue and extracts bypass that and go straight down to the root zone so again it's one of those rare situations where the easier way is less risky and more beneficial so and that's why extracts are my new favorite and i don't do tea so much anymore so the paint store
1: paint strainer yep over a bucket yep swish it around a little bit let it kind of
0: bleed out into that water one key there is you don't want to use city water with chlorine you have to off gas it overnight because any chlorine will just kill this bacteria okay. of course so if you're on a well that's fine Rain, Rainwater. Rainwater's is perfect uh or if you just have city water let that five gallon bucket off gas typically over one day it'll be gone the, the chlorine will release and then you can use that water for the extra that's a great tip So hope everybody's enjoying their garden this time of year, and uh, hope you missed the hail, and we've got more rain on the way. So get out your muck boots, yeah. Your your slicker (laughs) life life is good. Do you have galoshes? Do you know where your galoshes and your slicker are at right now? Because I have no idea where either of those things are at. So that'd be our tip, really, to get out there and look around when it's raining. Walk outside and watch where does that water go. Yeah, yeah, it's very interesting on your
1: property, anywhere, like how it sheets off, how you can capture water. This yeah. is a good thing. You know, it's a good time to see like, oh, all this water pools here. Yeah. How do
0: I capture that you and capture move it, it right. into a place that uh, could better utilize it? Yeah. Think about swales and directing water so that you can slow it, spread it, and sink it. That's what you want to do with rain. Wow. That is our new catchphrase. All right. All right.
1: Well, you get what you get. <laughs> and you don't throw a fit unless you have a swale. We'll see you next week. <laughs>
2: Bye.